Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because, yep, we're We're going going there. All right. Welcome back. Our final episode of our Locked Out series. Just flew by. Week four of our content. Remember how long our Fruit of the Spirit series was? It like never ended. This one's been like short and sweet. I've liked it a lot. I know. We'd love to hear y'all's feedback of do you like short series, long series? I don't know. We kind of obviously grouped all of our ideas into these like four topics. And so Mm -hmm. that's where we fell into five weeks. But here we are today covering I've locked Jesus out of my sexuality. And so just to be honest, if you guys just want the raw and real Christian and Samantha, we're kind of a little bit nervous to cover this topic, but feel really confident in what we're saying, what we want to say, what we believe the Bible says. And out of that, we hope that you guys hear our personal convictions of what the Bible talks about in the realm of sexuality, how God designed our relationships with sexual dynamics. And so we hope that comes across and we would love to dive in with more questions or if you want to unpack things more, we are open and willing to do that too. And so we hope that you chime in. Yeah. I think in our culture, for a lot of reasons, like it's a weighty thing. And for me personally, like I have people in my life who believe really differently than me, people that I love, people that I value relationship with. And so I would just ask, like if you're listening to this and don't believe what we are going to say we believe or what we believe the Bible says about these topics, that you would just be able to be open to hearing our thoughts. And just like if we were sitting across the table, We're coming into this saying like, hey, we love these people that believe differently. And so listen to it from that lens versus us just being like, this is right and that's wrong. Yeah. And again, we're going to focus on I wanted to start off by saying exactly that, that as Christians, as people who believe God and his sovereignty of who he is in our lives, we believe God's word, that we read God's word, that we learn and we submit to the laws and the commands and the structures that he lays out. And that we're told in scripture that these commands and these laws and how he structures these things for our lives are for our good and for his glory and our flourishing. And so we'll actually go back to that point a lot, because even as we go through this series, I think we purposely picked some kind of like strong or aggressive wording in like, I've locked Jesus out of my sexuality, because I think that is the reality of when we're not letting God be Lord in these areas of our lives. We are saying like, hey, I'm Lord and you're not. But I think I want to go back to, no, it is all about that he wants his people to flourish. He wants us to feel loved and seen and known. And I think sexuality is one of those areas that it's easy to say, God doesn't want anything good for me here. He only wants me to follow these laws that are boring and defined and don't allow me to do what I want to do. Maybe outdated. Maybe some could argue outdated. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where I want to start, that that is where what we believe and that's what we follow. And so I think this idea of sexuality and just even starting that off, I think in our culture, sexuality has almost become like an ultimate. We kind of talked about this in our who I am episode, our very first episode, that homosexuality has become like the ultimate goal to discover or explore or find yourself. That sexuality is an important part of who we are and how we interact with others. We'll talk a lot about the examples of our sexual relationships in the Bible that we discuss, but it's not it. I mean, we're not born just for sex. We're not born just to explore ourselves sexually. And I think our culture makes it really easy to believe that or to dive into that lie. 
Yeah, they can almost convince us that it's like part of your purpose or like you probably don't really know who you are if your sexuality isn't like really upheld as this like extremely important part of your life and you're able to have complete freedom with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. I think a lot of us could say people who are maybe sexually confused or haven't like, quote unquote, found themselves in that area would say, I've not even found my purpose. I'm still searching for myself. When I think as Christians, we have to kind of pull back that. We have to like take off those glasses and say, no, like, yes, sex and our sexual understanding of ourselves or beliefs or feelings are really important, but they're not it. Jesus is it. And I think we're easy to confuse those two things in our culture. And so we even just want to start there. When I was kind of thinking through, okay, what are we going to talk about in this episode? There's obviously so many kind of like areas we could go down and roads we could go down. But really started out, I went back to like, I don't know if you remember this, Samantha, but in elementary school, I had an elementary school example on my last one too. Yeah, you did. But you know how in like grammar, you went through like the question words. So oh, like yeah. the who, what, where, when, and sometimes why. Just to throw some fun in, if you are a kid, 90, kid like me, Spy Kids, the weird guy that plays sings the song, who, what, when, where, and why. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Okay. And that's a little outdated for me. I also like don't really think I watched a lot of Spy Kids. What? but I think a lot of people did. So yeah. Okay. So it took oh, me you there. also weren't allowed to watch mainstream media. Yeah, I wasn't. So, okay, I could like okay. only watch Focus on the Family yeah. films. I was yeah. like pretty sheltered. But it took me to those questions because I'm like, okay, what do we want to talk about? We're actually talking about breaking down those. So who? Who are we in how God designed our sex? We'll dig into that. We'll talk about what. So what is appropriate in our sex? What is in God's design? What is outside of God's design? We'll talk about when. When in God's design is it appropriate to have sex and explore sexual relations? When is it not appropriate? And then where and why? I'm Where's like, not really where? a one? Where's not really one? I had to cross that out. Yeah. But then why? What is our intention? Well, maybe in... don't have like public indecency or something. You yeah, know? maybe not that. I mean, I think that's like maybe obvious, but I don't know. Maybe not. But then why? I think a lot of this goes back to a lot of these different topics that we've talked about of what is our heart intention. This comes out to a lot of like the sexual conversations about like how we express ourselves, what's appropriate. And we've had other episodes about modesty and what's appropriate in those ways. And so we'll kind of talk through like sexual desires themselves. We've had a whole episode on porn and masturbation. Like I said about the why, like how do we express ourselves sexually? What's appropriate? What's not? What does God command? What boundaries does he put around that? And then who are we sexual with? When are we sexual? I think these are all questions that, again, we as people, we like things to be really black and white. And in the Bible, we will see some things that are really black and white, but then some things are kind of gray. And I think we as Christians, a lot of times want to know, like, how far can I go when it's too far? In our Ask a Pastor episode, we talked about a lot of those questions. And so I would tell you to like, go listen to some of that too. But we hope that this conversation kind of spurs your mind to really focus on like, how does God design what it looks like for me to flourish sexually? What is he calling me into? And then how am I either following that design or wanting to flee from that design and actually say, no, God, like, I believe who you are, but you're locked out of this area because that's not actually true of how I think that I can flourish. One thing I, when you were just talking, I was thinking about, like, I said this in the time and resources kind of episode, but it's like, it's easy to say that God wouldn't care or shouldn't be able to have a say in our sexuality. But it's like, to kind of go back and say, like, no, God does care about this. And like, however that makes you feel, whether that makes you angry or whatever emotion that brings up, like, that is the truth. Like, he speaks about it in his word. And so we have to take it seriously. 
Yeah. And so going back to the very beginning, like if our, so we believe as Christians that the Bible is God's word and God has designed different commands and laws and structures for how our lives are for our good, his glory and our flourishing. And so anything we do against that or different than those boundaries that he has created will result in pain, frustration. We see in the Bible, it's described as a drought. Obviously anything, a drought is just like not a good thing. Obviously nothing fruitful comes from a drought. There's sadness, there's hardship and that God created us And so he knows best. That is our belief that as the creator of the universe, he created us. He said, these are the laws. These are the commands that you have to live by to flourish as people. And so if we're going to go against those, it's going to be hard. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be pain. There's going to be frustration. And so I think that's just kind of a reality we have to struggle with a little bit in this like sexuality conversation, because I think, again, a lot of us want to twist and turn and say, like, does he really say that? And so we'll kind of unpack a little bit about like, what does he say? I think first and foremost, you kind of have to wrestle with like, why are we sexual beings? I mean, <laughs> could be just really easy to be like, why did God even create it to be this messy? Like, why couldn't he just create it to be differently or Like, what's the point? And the whole point of why we're sexual beings is that we are made to be intimate in a way that is like all encompassing. You'll hear and I'll kind of unpack this idea that in the Bible, Jesus talks about, it's actually the Apostle Paul, talks about marriage, the commitment of a woman and a man in a covenant with Jesus and together in a commitment for a lifelong relationship together is this example of Christ in the church. And this Christ in the church's example is supposed to increase intimacy and deepen a longing between people. Obviously, all of us would know that intimacy is like the most vulnerable place that a person can be, you know, normally mentally, emotionally, physically. Intimacy is like very I like the exact word, but intimate. It is vulnerable and intense. And then sex in itself is obviously physically made to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. And that's a commandment in the Bible that fill the earth and subdue it. And so we're made as sexual beings as this example. Yeah, as you say that, it reminds me, I mean, all these things that you say that sex is created for. And now we talk about like, why, like you said something like, why would it be so messy or God make it so messy? It's like, well, no, actually he intended it to be this like perfect functioning thing. But because of sin entering our world, it has created chaos within this concept, this idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to describe it. Because again, like if you think about it, God created us, he could have created it a totally different way, but he made us sexual people to be involved in this intimacy that is supposed to be an example of Christ in the church. And so some people, again, like I said, will unpack it. And so Christ in the church, like you may be like, what? I've literally never heard that before. This comes from an idea in Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about, quote unquote, the mystery of why God instituted marriage. And he reveals it here, that it refers to Christ in the church, that marriage was not only made as a strategy to care for creation, but also to foreshadow the gospel. And so you have to remember the institution of marriage in Genesis two is the climax of the creation account where God entrusts to Adam and Eve the well-being of all of his creation. He has just gone through seven days of creation and he says, you two will be my people who own and manage and are in charge of this land. That marriage itself was designed for the care and creation 
and contains within it a prophecy of Jesus and the church that ultimately it's supposed to point to that Jesus is the ultimate provider, that he is the one who ultimately cares for creation. And so we get to play a part of that in marriage, that then we get to be rooted in the relationship between Christ and his church. Church meaning like anyone who believes in Jesus is a part of this church. And so if you understand the gospel rightly, then we'll understand like marriage rightly. And obviously in marriage, there's a context of a sexual dynamic between two people. So I want to say all of that because this entire series we've talked about where we have may have locked Jesus out because we think that a lot of this is in our control and our desires and our ways are better than how God has defined them. And we often think as humans that we can help ourselves, that we can do all the things to make ourselves feel totally loved, totally known, fully seen, fully accepted. And we think that we can own that. We want that control. But we know that's a lie because time and time again, we've seen people and we've heard people and we know people, maybe it's you yourself, that we've believed that lie and it's totally failed. That again, we were made sexual beings because we crave this intimacy, because we were made by a God who says, I want intimacy with my people. He gives us as an example in marriage. And then we distort and twist that for what, like honestly, just a cheaper version of anything. And so even I want to go back to why, again, is like sex so hard? Why is it so dynamic? Why is this maybe such a big or weighty topic? And I think we have to go back to the fall or sin where it very begins in the very first book of the Bible in how Satan, the snake, perverts what God called good in the garden, that he made this one tree, the tree of life, told Adam and Eve, you may not eat from the fruit of this tree. And Eve was so convinced after Satan said, are you sure? Are you sure that God said that you can't eat from this fruit? Because I know that if you ate from it, you'd actually be like him. And so what Satan does is Satan takes what God made good and he perverts it. And I think we have to then apply that to sex and we have to apply that to our sexuality. We have to apply that to how we feel either bounded by how God defines sex and how God defines what sex is and what's appropriate in sexual relationships and what is not. And I think Satan has easily perverted that out of context for what it's supposed to be good. And so again, we see even in the book of Genesis from the very beginning of the Bible that Eve is searching for purpose, identity, and worth and thinks I'm going to own this or I'm going to control this by going against what God said and make it my own. And I think in that way, she's desiring intimacy. And we do that exact same thing in our sexual lives. And so we were made for intimacy by the one who commands it with himself. So I know that feels like a lot, but again, I don't want this conversation to not be helpful as we go down all of almost like the rabbit trails that I think our culture is kind of obsessed with going down. We could go over homosexual relationships or trans identities, or we could go through all of these different areas. But I think ultimately the idea or the conflict or just the difference in belief or opinion comes from actually just the root of the belief itself. And so that's really what we want to unpack here. I also want to add, like, as we were talking about this, and because it encompasses so many things, like, in our culture, what has happened is it's turned into, like, a lot of hate. Like, people, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, well, I have different beliefs on how sexuality can be. And I've only ever heard people then speak against it in such a hateful way. And, like, 
as we describe all of this, it really makes sense to me why it's so tender and it's emotional. Because if you're walking through kind of searching for some different identity with your sexuality, it's like it is so sensitive because like you were just saying, it is so deeply like enmeshed in who you are and it's very intimate and it's very vulnerable. And so it makes sense to me that there's a lot of emotions that come up with these topics. But we are not here to like say that just because we think something is right, then we think against it as like, we would have to spew hate or we would have to disrespect anyone for like what they're processing through. Because again, it's really, really messy. Like there are a lot of layers in this. So I just wanted to say that. And I think, again, if you call yourself a Christian, I think personally for me and my personal convictions, I think part of the awesomeness and being a part of God's story is that I get the freedom to love people because I have the belief and understanding that God created all people, that sin is the thing that's messing this world up. And so I get the opportunity to freely love people, even if they believe or maybe live differently than I. And my role in that is to make the gospel and make the truth, make what is not sin so attractive that they want to turn from sin and come towards truth. And I think that's an awesome freedom that we can all actually live in as we maybe navigate these hard or maybe conversations that have a lot of tension. And so I even just wanted to start there that I think with the sexual, like with the conversation of sexuality, how are or like, who are we? So going back to those like question words, who, what, where, when, and sometimes why, who? So the Bible pretty narrowly defines who we are, that there are men and there are women. And the guidelines for those borders, for what men and women are in the Bible, are very clear that this is a more black and white thing that's in the Bible, that from the beginning to the end, that there are clear distinctions of these two categories. And we see that all throughout the scripture. There are two sexes, male and female. Our bodies are saying something about who we are, about how they're physically made. But what is a little more broad and what is now maybe less clear are the borders are just maybe more gray, and I think where this conversation gets a little more tricky, is that what are we like? So we went through the who, and now we're on the what. So what are we like? The men and women, what they're like, is a little more broad. Then in the Bible, you have men fighting and being rough and strong and killing people with rocks and swords. And then you have King David, who like cries through like billions of psalms. I mean, he's super emotional, very in tune with his emotions. And in 1 Timothy 6, you have Paul then that goes through six virtues that men of God should pursue. These are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So obviously, we all can see those types of virtues or characteristics. We can all see how those could be played out in different men, that that may look really tough and strong in some, that could look more meek or mild or just quiet for others. And so I think we have to kind of keep that open handed a little bit, that I think it's easy in this conversation of sexuality to define this is exactly how a man should act and respond to all things in life, where there are some guidelines around that. There are some things in the Bible that kind of outline that, but they're more broad than just saying what a man is or what a woman is. And again, that's where our culture has taken things and said, well, that's where it gets like extreme and saying, well, this is how a man then should act and behave. And it's like, well, maybe that's why it's really challenging for certain people that don't identify like that. Because again, where is that in scripture? It's clearly in the biology side of things that like God created a man and woman, but you're saying like the characteristics or personality or even your interests like don't have to look so black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then going on to women, there are lots of examples of women nurturing in the home, being hospitable. But then Proverbs 31, 
one, the Proverbs 31 woman, is kind of a boss lady that she hustles. She deals with her textile workmanship, that she is working hard to make her living. And so, and then in 1 Timothy 3, we see that women are called to be servants in the church. Women should be dignified, not gossip. They should be sober and faithful in all they do. And so, again, we get some guidelines for this is how a woman should behave. This is her role. I mean, we could go into a whole thing of submission. I'm sure some of you guys are dying for that conversation. Maybe that's a different episode. So we get some guidelines for how a woman should act and act out of her womanhood. But what is very black and white is man and woman. What is more gray is how is that played out and what are these people like? And so I think we kind of have to start there because I think it's easy to get into this conversation and start dividing out all of these really specified examples or is this okay or is this okay? But what we want to really go to is, hey, if we are called as Christians to believe that God is ruler and he wants to reign in every area of our life, for him to have ownership over our sexuality, we have to believe that his plan and his design for how he made things because he's the creator of the world is true, is best, and that will be flourishing for us. And so God purposely made man and woman to rely on each other, that you see these differences, and he created this with purpose in mind, that our God is a God who has purpose and has a plan. And so when he calls these things good in Genesis, that he created these two sexes to work together, to bring different gifts, to glorify him, and do good works. And so even in that, the Bible is not quiet in talking about sexual sins. I mean, I think it's easy to sometimes say like our culture feels out of control, everything's going crazy, and sex is one of those topics that feels really out of control. But I also want to remind you all like, God is still in control. Nothing has changed there. And that these same problems were with people in Bible days, and they're still here now. But just kind of wanted to unpack a few of those that we can see actual examples and commandments in the Bible. You know, Samantha and I never want you guys to take what we're saying here as ultimate truth, but we do believe God's word is ultimate truth. And so I wanted to pull some of that out. And so we're going to start off with marriage. And Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So obviously, the people who do not honor marriage as a sacred partnership between these two people, they will be judged. And that is not a good thing, is what we are told. So 1 Corinthians 16, 18 through 20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It goes on to talk about that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price and therefore honor God with our bodies. Again, I just want to keep reading some of these because there's a big theme throughout all of these that I want all of us to recognize and just kind of dig into. Matthew 5, 28, it talks about lust that, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 is, talks about, again, the sanctity of marriage and exclusivity in that relationship. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationship with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And it goes on. There's multiple verses that talk about that adultery in Proverbs 6, 32, that it destroys. Then Galatians 5, it talks about life by the spirit, that you can't indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. Love your neighbor as yourself, that if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so what I think is so interesting when you dig into sexual sin in the Bible, 
every single verse that we just talked about, but like I just picked out seven out of like 25,000, that every single one talks about the danger to ourselves when we enter into how God has not defined what's appropriate in our sexual relationships, which again, we're all people who like want the best for ourselves and want to thrive and we want to do what feels comfortable and fun. And God is saying, hey, I have written out how this is going to be fun and how it is going to be pleasurable and how it is going to be beautiful and how it's going to be life-giving. And again, Satan has perverted that to make us think that it's something different. And we see in all these examples of, hey, if you don't follow how God's design for sex and sexual like relationships, then it's not going to go well. And it's only going to devour. It's going to hurt us. I mean, all of these things are not good. Yeah. And I think somebody might be listening to this saying like, okay, that's fine. I know that's what the Bible says, but I can't help that I feel and I battle this in a certain way. And I just want to validate, like, we're not trying to tell you that that's not valid, that that's not hard and difficult because we all have sin tendencies that, and, you know, I say to sin tendencies, but it's just like we all have ways of our flesh that we struggle with and that we have to fight against and battle against. And so I don't want us to just like say all this truth and then be like, so that's what it is and goodbye. It's like we recognize, I mean, we've said this, but I just want to reiterate, like we recognize that this is so weighty because this affects you personally. Like some of you were like walking through this and battling certain things that you're figuring out. And so that is just like, we know that and like we acknowledge that. Yeah. And again, if you've been a part of our Going There community, we always want to have challenging conversations that make you think about how you live your life, how the gospel is transforming your life. And Again, I've heard, I know about a lot of conversations with Christians or non-Christians involved that are really just like stabbing at one another. And I think what's interesting about that is like at the end of the day, when you're just like throwing your truth out at people without any context of like, this is why I believe what I believe. And this is what I actually think the good and like bad come from that or, you know, when you're actually having a conversation with someone about that, then you can actually see their side of something and say, oh, like that's thought provoking. And so if anything, if you're sitting here and you're like, well, that's great. That's what the Bible says, but I don't believe in the Bible. Well, like I challenge you to just like consider what we're saying, because this is our belief as Christians, as people who do submit to the Bible as the belief and truth of how we build our lives. And so I think that's a good place to start by saying, let's open up the conversation to start with the basics of this conversation around sexuality. Well, a few weeks ago, if you listened, this came out before our series, but we have a conversation with our friend and counselor, Lynn, and we talked about boundaries. And I couldn't help myself when we were talking about this just to go back to that conversation, because in that conversation, we used the analogy of a road and talked a lot about driving. Samantha had been in Jamaica and they don't have like lines in the middle of the road. Okay, they do have lines. Let me clarify for all the people that are like, there's lines. It's just that like, people don't respect the lines. Okay, people don't respect the lines. So we were talking about like, isn't it funny that like in all of these areas of our lives, we have boundaries. Like we follow speed limit. I mean, some of us, you know, kind of ish, follow speed limits. We have all these boundaries on roads. I mean, we're flying 80 miles and down the road with someone else kind of with this blind understanding, like you are also going to stay in your lane and you're going to use a blinker to come over to my lane. Like that is the understanding of the boundaries. And we all understand that like these boundaries are for the safety and good of ourselves and the safety and good of other people. And so I think when we enter into this conversation, we have to then also think, oh, well, God is just giving me these boundaries for the safety and good of myself and the safety of good of other people. And so the reality is, is like we don't define sin, but God does. And so he sets boundaries for that. And 
again, maybe it's just me, but it really hits my heart and it's really impactful to me to go back to Genesis 1. When God creates all things, he creates man and woman. He designs woman after the man saying like these two people are going to work together to have dominion over my land and these animals and they're going to subdue it and be fruitful and multiply. And he calls that very good, that the God of creation, the God who has made our entire world is literally saying exactly how I've defined it. This is very good. And I think we can rest in that. We can be excited for being a part of that imagery that we get to play out our sexual desires and desires for intimacy in the picture of how God created it. And so when we have this conversation about sexual sin, it's really just violations of God's intention of creation. And again, we could use this time to go down every rabbit trail of this sexual sin and this sexual sin and this sexual sin, but I just don't really think that would be helpful because there's so many caveats, there's so many again, just like rabbit trails we could get down, that that's not really the point that I think as Christians, we have to say, hey, God, if you are ruler and you reign in all areas of my life, I have to say, then like, this is how he defines what my sex life should look like. And I then have to be convicted if I'm not following it that way, or I have to make strides to like following his commands. And so going back to some of those examples I shared at the beginning, this could be our sexual desires. This could be an addiction with pornography or masturbation. This could be how we express ourselves. Maybe we really like to wear really provocative clothing so that we get a lot of attention from the opposite sex or just who we're desiring sexually. Maybe it's who we're sexual with. Is it someone I'm married to? Is it someone I'm not married to? Is it outside of my marriage if I am married or is it not? When are we sexual? Am I sexual inside a marriage relationship or am I sexual outside of a marriage relationship? Am I being sexual with someone of the same sex? Am I being sexual with someone of the opposite sex? Am I desiring someone who is not mine to desire that's outside of only desiring my husband? I think these are the things that when we really break them down, These are sexual desires that do involve our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And I don't think that's a coincidence that I don't think the the creator of the universe created that by accident. He knew that we were going to be made as sexual humans that desired intimacy because he ultimately desires intimacy with himself. And so I think those are some of the things that we have to be honest to break down And again, remembering that Satan perverts what God calls very good, going back to that Genesis 3 example. And I think the reality and the sadness of if we don't let God rule and reign and we lock him out of our lives and our like sexual lives, that we're actually just cheapening the richness of how God intended it to be rich. I know I feel like I'm repeating myself, but like we have to understand that God designed this with our good and our flourishing in mind. And when we think that having sex before marriage and outside of how he designed it to be, there's going to be weight, there's going to be pain, there's going to be drought there because that's just not how he intended it. He knows us because he created us. And I have some personal stories I mean, I could share. And obviously we feel like we're like community here. But I can be honest by saying I have had, I remember 
sexual encounters that I had prior to marriage with my now husband, but not really understanding or not really thinking about the weight that that would carry. And it sadly has come into our marriage. And we really had to unpack of that. Eight years now later, we're probably over it a lot more. But I'd be lying to say that that sexual sin didn't then affect my beautiful, awesome God-centered marriage later on, because prior to that, not letting God reign in my life, I was sexually not pure. And that was kind of a bummer. It for sure was a bummer. And I think we can all think about those experiences. And it's hard to almost wrap your head around or be honest about them because they feel really personal and intimate. But that's like the whole reason that it's so hard. Yeah. I also think it's good to mention here too, you know, sometimes as Christians, maybe you're the opposite that you just like are so by the book and then you have this expectation. We actually had an episode on this with Molly, Molly Cover a while ago of like that you would then assume that as you enter into marriage, like any sinful tendencies or any like trouble with sexual desires or your sex life in general with your husband, like if you follow every single rule would just be like amazing and perfect and easy. And we have to remember that there's still sin involved. Mm -hmm. There's still messiness and hard things that we have to work through involved in any kind of sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I hope like as we even dive into this, Again, I want to say like we could have gone a lot of different ways, but I'm like, if we're going to be people who say, no, God, we want you to enter in. We want you to have every key to every door in our house. We want you to come in, be a part, rule, reign, be sovereign in all these areas. Then what does that look like to us for us? Because Samantha just there said, you know, it's not even going to go perfect, even if you think you did all the things like perfectly. And so how do we fight sin? Like, even generally, but even specifically to sexual sin, like how do we fight this? Because we know since we're made for it, since we were created for it, that God calls it good, but Satan's going to pervert it. And so how do we fight this? That we bring other people into it, that we in humility, we share struggles that obviously I'm not saying you need to share this with everyone. You don't need to get on a podcast and share, but you have humility and you bring some people into that and you ask them to hold you accountable. Again, I can't give you exact examples for what that may be, but maybe that's you like living and sleeping with your boyfriend that you're not married to, or maybe that's you dressing in a certain way that you're like, I'm really trying to get this attention of this person at work and I need to be held accountable that like, that's not appropriate or or maybe you're married and you're lusting after someone who is not your spouse and you need to be held accountable in that. Again, it's going to be hard. It's going to take humility. But I think we have to call ourselves into that to fight these sexual desires. I think, you know, like if you are seeking God and want to ask him, like, show me ways like those things become obvious because they're so individual to everyone. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was my second thing of like. You need to be praying. Fighting sin involves bringing God into that. God already knows. We already know that. But ask God to change your desires, that you need to pray and seek wisdom. In the Bible, I mean, it talks about wisdom all the time. And we get wisdom from intimacy with God. And so asking God, like, Lord, change my desires in this way. Make me desire not this affection from this person who's not my spouse, but my the affection from my spouse. Turn my eyes towards you. Put prayer in like effort towards that. And then putting patterns in place to fight temptation and sinful habits. I mean, this is, I think, when you talk about like the typical like fight sin, I think you think about like the typical things, but like there are tangible things that you can probably do to fight that sin. Maybe it could be as dramatic as like changing jobs. It could be as small as, hey, I'm just not going to pick up my coffee at that coffee shop anymore because it's not healthy for me to see that person. Or 
I mean, I'm like coming up with examples. The things we watch, the things we consume that stir our mind, the content we consume that could push at what we know is biblical truth, but tell us like slowly start to pull us into what the world would say should be truth and like try to kind of break you free in a sense, like a lot of that language from like old ideas. There's just so many things that we have to be really mindful of. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think of where people who say like, no, God, I, don't, I want you to rule and I want you to reign. I want you to have every key to my house. Then in reality, it looks like we have to put some action behind that desire. And that action can be, again, bringing other people in, praying, in like actual tangible patterns or things in our lives. And just to wrap up, I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you and almost helpful in like almost a backtracking elementary way that to have the conversation about sexual intimacy or sexual desires and fighting sin like that, we have to go back to understanding and believing that God is good. He created good boundaries for us. And no amount of earthly intimacy can ever match the ache that we feel in our hearts for deep intimacy. Because deep intimacy, again, all of this is just an example for us to be able to have intimacy with our own creator. And so our sex life is a picture and an image of that, but it should point us back to Christ. And so I hope that's encouraging to you. We would love to hear more from you on this. And in general, we hope that you've enjoyed this series and we hope that it's been convicting and challenging to you. And hopefully you can pull some other people in and humbly share with people and be held accountable to say, hey, I've realized I've not opened the doors for Jesus to come into this area of my life. So thanks for joining us. We're really excited. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.